Hey everybody, it's Never Heard of It Podcast. This is Sean Harwell. This is a show where we talk about those movies that have slipped right on through your cracks and ours. Craig Moorhead, you're here. You're the other crack. How are you? Uh, more Nam HQ. Uh, we are uh, <laughs> holding it together. My hair is longer than it's ever been. Oh, wow. Uh, the grass is longer than it's ever been outside. I should probably do something about that. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. Um, Craig. Sean. We're going to keep doing this thing, and hopefully it is at least a little bit of, of, of an outlet and, and an escape uh, into some interesting corners of the cinema world for folks once a week. And uh, we always like to hear from people. You want to tell them where they should come say hello? Uh, yeah, let me let them know. If you are, uh, you know, if you're not doing anything, you want to maybe let us know what you're thinking about these days. Uh, if there's a movie you want us to watch and talk about, if, uh, if you listen to a podcast and you thought it was garbage, you can let us know. You can find us on Twitter, uh, at Never Podcast. If you're a dog who doesn't like the sound of uh, Sean's voice, <laughs> you can attack him. Attack him right in the comfort of his own home. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give out the address later. But uh, no, uh, on Twitter, you can find us at Never Podcast. On Facebook, we're also Never Podcast. Instagram, we're N-H-O-I-T Podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Those are the ones I know about for sure right now, as of this recording. Uh, anywhere you can subscribe and leave a review, it really helps us out. Uh, so please do that if you uh, feel comfortable doing so. I don't mean to tell you how to live your life. But Sean, I do mean to tell you how to live your life. And here's what I'm going to say. First, pet your dog. Clearly, it wants attention. <laughs> and, yeah. and second... Uh, what are we? Uh, what what movies have you watched since the last time we talked? Oh man, Craig, it hasn't been that long mm. since we recorded. True. So I got one movie in, but man, it's a doozy, Craig. Oh yeah. Uh, I watched this movie on the Criterion Channel called The Bridge from 1959. Die Brücke. Oh, I think goodness. is the original title. It's scary when you say it like that. I know. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the director's name. It doesn't look that bad, but I'm sure I'll butcher it. Right. And I don't want to do that, mm. especially because I thought this movie was absolutely incredible. Do you know anything about it? Not yet. Okay. This apparently, I think, is the first sort of anti-war film made in Germany by Germans. It was West Germany after the Second World War. And... Flat out, if you ask me today, top five war films of all time, The Bridge would be on that list. Oh, that's fantastic. That good. I don't know. I'm like cautious about completely overhyping it. I was like, man, maybe we should do this for the podcast. But I know it's been written by a lot and that doesn't stop us usually. <laughs> but I was like, I, I just want to talk about it now. So yeah. it is about a group of teenage boys who are getting their draft notice kind of on the eve of the end of the war. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen another like war film that kind of captures what it's like to be a boy and play war and then sort of juxtapose that to the reality of war 
it's almost like I kept thinking of Lord of the Flies while I was watching this thing. I was like, it's it's, not, it's like somebody made like a, a WW2 film and Lord of the Flies together. It, it's crazy, crazy good. So cool. yeah, big, biggest thumbs up I can give. You got to see this movie. Fantastic performances by these young, well, at the time, young actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the director I know went on to be involved in The Longest Day the John Wayne film, which I'm really interested in seeing now, and several others, including some English language stuff. So uh, he's on my radar, and uh, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I dig it, man. That sounds great. Uh, and also, I'm going to throw out a podcast recommendation yeah. as well, since it hasn't been at my list of short, and I like to do that every now and then. And this one specifically is related to film. TCM has a podcast series now called The Plot Thickens, and every season they're going to talk about I think something related, if not a person related to film. And Peter Bogdanovich is the subject of this first season. And so far, it's been really, really good. It's hosted by Ben Mankiewicz, who I knew from TCM and had never actually thought about piecing together the fact that, yeah, his grandfather wrote Citizen Kane. Uh, (laughs) News to me. I don't know. He talks about that. Uh, Obviously, Orson Welles is a big part of uh, Peter Bogdanovich's world. And uh, I, I highly recommend that. It's a good, good listen so far. I'm like five episodes in. I think the whole thing is available. So check that out. Yeah, I've listened to the first episode, Bugs, I think it was oh, called. Good. And yeah, yeah, I totally concur. That is a great, great podcast. So I'm, I can't wait to dig into the rest of it. I mean, I, and not to spoil anything, but like they've got, he interviewed all these famous directors uh, as a very young man while doing a series, like a curation series for uh, MoMA. And he kept all the cassettes. So he's got like this insane treasure trove. And they, they've got snippets from it here and there of interviews with, you know, Orson Welles and Hitchcock and Henry Fonda and all these people. It's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. That's cool. So, yeah, that's me, Craig. Mm. What have you watched? Anything? Uh, I did. I watched exactly one movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And that would be The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, it was another one of our nice sort of film 101 things with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, movies they would not otherwise see. Of course, they loved it. It's the Muppets. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, and of course, it's the Muppets. So there's a lot of stuff in it that's still very funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some stuff. It's 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 really so great and weird and such a weird sense of humor. Um, the only thing in it that bugged me was there's kind of an overabundance of humor where they're breaking the fourth wall and talking about the, how the movie's going. Really? I didn't remember that. I know. I did not at all either. And I mean, it starts at the very beginning. They're looking at the credits and they're talking about yeah, what yeah. the credits are. And it's like, oh, that's funny. And then, you know, and then they just keep like that joke keeps coming up over and over again. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, yeah, we know you're in a movie. Uh, but whatever. I mean, it's all well mm-hmm. executed. The best part, though, is Charles Grodin. Spoiler alert. Oh, Charles Grodin is one of the bad guys. And there's this sequence where... <laughs> think i i honestly i can't remember how it happened because the plot of that thing is so nuts but there's just this bit where there's this sort of inset of charles groden singing and they've given him this uh opera singer's voice like this tenor and he's just really you know like the the, the yeah. face and he's singing about how beautiful she is and that stuff killed me i mean it came so <laughs> out of nowhere it has nothing yeah. to do with anything else in the movie, there's no reason he should be singing like an opera singer. Love that bit. Uh, a lot of other good stuff in it too. Um, if 
you guys haven't watched that uh, recently or never seen it at all, you should check that out. I, I give it uh, also a very high recommendation. Very cool. And is that on Disney Plus? It is on Disney Plus, yes. Yeah, I. it's funny because we were talking about the Jason Siegel Muppets movie mm-hmm. from a couple years back, uh, several days ago. And I think one of the songs from that film came on Kids Plays Live, the uh, Sirius XM station. And the music is so good in that movie that yeah. uh, the Flight of the Concords, one of those guys oh, was yeah. helping out with it. So I was like, oh, this is on Disney Plus. Well, yeah, we should watch all the freaking Muppet mo- movies. So yeah. it's going to happen soon, I think. Greg. Can't go wrong. Uh, I saw some of the one <laughs> that was after the Jason Siegel one that was oh, like Muppets uh, Most Fate. Wanted or something. Yeah, Ricky Gervais. And that one didn't seem like it. That seemed like maybe you could go wrong a little bit, at least here and there in that film. I don't know. I, I didn't see the whole thing, so I shouldn't necessarily judge That's it. That's true. But That's true. I'm feeling prejudgy about it. I can tell you that I much. hear you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Tukibuki, yeah? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, so we're doing a month of African films, and um, maybe the not the best time uh, politically for us to be talking about films that deal with a race that we are not, you know, uh, a part of. But maybe we didn't intend this to happen this way. It just kind of did. And look, you know, we should be exposed to these films, and it's about uh, seeing the culture of it. And I certainly felt like I learned a lot from this one and I'm sure we will from the next one too. So that's what we'll try to get across. And maybe we'll leave some of the, uh, political dissection of this, uh, to people who would know much more about it. Uh, and we'll just talk about it as a film experience, get into it. We we can talk about it as a social commentary a little bit for sure. sure. Uh, Craig. So this was written and directed by Jabril Diop Mambetti, I think is where we landed on the pronunciation. And it is the story of Maury, a cowherd, and Anta, a university student who try to make money in order to go to Paris and leave their boring past behind. It is set in Senegal, I think uh, specifically in the Dakar area. And uh, unless I'm mistaken, you've never been there, Craig, right? I, as far as I know, no, I've never been there. Yeah, as far as Craig knows, he's never been to Senegal. I feel like that's something he would know, but um, Mm -hmm. me either. But we did via this movie, and I'm curious to know what you thought of Tukibuki, which translates to Journey of the Hyena, if you're looking at IMDb. Yes. Some parts are incredibly off-putting, mm-hmm. and, they, and, and the movie hits you with those things right up front. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, there's, this, uh, there's a fantastic energy to it that I really loved. There's, uh, what, what I loved the most was really just feeling like I'm there in Senegal. I'm getting a sort of experience of what it really is like to be there mm-hmm. and existing there for the most part. There were definitely some bits that were like, well, this is a, very much a put on. And then there are others, there's other things that are just like, this is a day in the life in Senegal. And that stuff I could have watched a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, 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 I almost wish that had been most of what the movie was. Um, I don't know that I was terribly invested in the actual characters. Uh, but I mean, I think the, I think the movie makes a, a fairly clear statement. Um, maybe I'll find out that I, it's not as clear as I thought <laughs> as we talk about it. I, yeah. Uh, the, the performers do well. It's, it's shot 
beautifully for the most part. I really thought it was a really fine looking movie. Um, but yeah, in, in the end, I can't say I was terribly emotionally involved in what was going on. How did you feel about it? I think that's a fair assessment. I definitely liked it. I mean, I think that, you know, I watched it. It's like, I really dug a lot of that movie. Uh, emotionally invested? Probably not. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting in, you know, as the uh, log line suggests, it's got almost this kind of us versus the world thing to it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not quite Bonnie and Clyde, but... I was sort of waiting for a Bonnie and Clyde reference almost, you know? Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of like other just like dynamic couples that were, were, you know, doing things that were a little less than lawful in order to get ahead. And uh, I'm with you. I kind of loved like all that stuff, just watching them yeah. in this environment. I, more than anything else, watching this movie, I was just like, never seen that before. Never seen yeah. that before. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that before. Oh, I've never, this looks interesting. I've never seen that before. And, well, this is what I'll say about the race of it all. It is really interesting to just feel like you're there, like you're saying. And there's, is, I think there's one white person in this entire film. And I'm not even well, positive. That guy that was kind of dressed up like a caveman that's, that took the bike towards the oh, end Oh, yeah, as far as a character they really interact with. I mean, there were the people on the boat. But oh, yeah. right, 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 yeah. Um, and clearly they're from a different life, right? Yeah. And so you forget about that. And this movie is is really just kind of a glimpse, I guess, at, at income inequality, if anything. And, right. um, yeah, it's just kind of fascinating to just be put right in the middle of that. Yeah. And it really feels like they just walked in with the camera and pressed record mm -hmm. and got 99% of everybody on board of not looking into the lens. <laughs> and right. uh, that's impressive in and of itself because there's some large crowd sequences, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. I liked some of the editing in particular. There's yep. some sequences that to me, I mean, they almost felt like Easy Rider influenced, even though this came out way before that, or, or well, not way before it, but they could have been vice versa. And I, I don't think they either were probably on either's radar, but there's just moments yeah. where just the way they put things together, it just feels like this little sequence. And yeah. the way they use sound, I was like, that's really cool. Sometimes it's just really quiet. Sometimes mm -hmm. they use the Josephine Baker song over and over again. Perry? Yeah, Perry, I want to talk about Perry. that. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I read multiple places where it talked about it being inspired by the French New Wave. I can kind of see it, but I do feel like I, I felt like it's its own thing. And maybe I'm just I just don't know like a better direct reference um, right. to compare it to. But I liked it. I think we should definitely say right up front, as you did, thankfully for me before I watched this that there is some straight-up animal slaughter in this film. And uh, they show it, and they put the camera right in there. And I did not watch those scenes. I had my hand in front of my face. Um, it is incredibly... It, yeah, it, it was incredibly uncomfortable for me to watch Yeah, as well. And, and yeah, it's, it's interesting how, especially at the outset... It was very difficult for me to key into what are we talking about here because yeah. I just felt like, 
like, oh God, this is going on for so long. And I, you know, I didn't know how to take that in. There's a sort of a anger that starts to <laughs> arise or for like sure. a resentfulness of just like, why are you making me? Cause it was, it's very, very intense. And oh God. Yeah. Well, not only that, it uses intercutting. So there are moments where you think you're safe uh, and yeah. you're back with your characters and then it'll cut back to that. Um, specifically where there's a goat that's killed. Um, right. I want to say that's still in the first half of the film, although it could be wrong. But anyway, just there's one right up front. It's a slaughterhouse. It's oxen. Um, and then, yeah, there's the goat. And uh yeah, those are rough sequences, and thankfully you warned me, and I was able to kind of avoid them as best as possible. But do you yeah. see any sort of symbolic, or I mean, I'm sure there is. Like, there's no, I mean, everything about this movie felt pretty purposeful to me. Um, I don't, do you make a connection there? You wanna, well, you I mean, yes, like why that's in here. I I I don't know that I a hundred percent make the exact connection. Uh, except that, you know, yeah, we, we start with that and I believe it was, was it ox oxen? Yeah. Those are ox. I think at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, who are being slaughtered, just throats cut and just, wow. And, and then I think the next image we have after that, well, first we start with a kid who's leading uh, a a kid on another ox or possibly must be on another ox. Yes, he is. Yes. The longhorn. Uh, yeah. yeah, Leading, leading a whole bunch of ox to the slaughterhouse. Uh, that's our first sort of image. And then slaughtering happens. And then I believe the next thing I saw was sort of looking through the horns of Maury's motorcycle. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And, and so my first thought was, Oh, he's, he's essentially one of those ox. He's like, Mm -hmm on his way to the slaughter. And I guess a part of me felt like, well, a part of me made that connection real quick and just felt like, okay, that's what that is. Though I have to say, having seen the whole movie now, I don't know if I understand. I don't know. Senegal didn't end up seeming like a place that's like, oh, this is a a fatally dead end for you to be here. Right. Uh, um, so, so I'm not sure I, that really sunk in for me. I mean, if the suggestion is like, look, this is what he's trying to escape from. Right. That I get because I was doing the same thing. Oh, sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want that life either. And yet, obviously, you know, I eat meat and I understand that like that's just people got to eat. And especially in, in, in a culture where food is not necessarily readily available at a grocery store. Um, right. Yeah. You, you do what you can. So, I don't know. I, I loved the fact that, yeah, this guy rides around the city uh, with a motorcycle that has an ox skull on it and the long horns. And, yeah, that first shot was, like, seeing through POV pretty much on the motorcycle yeah. through those horns. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little bit uh, at a loss as to if there's a bigger connection between those two. But we can move on from that, but it, it is, it is certainly something you need to be aware of if you're going to get into this film. And I, I'm kind of surprised that there's not any sort of, this is streaming on the Criterion channel mm-hmm. and as part of their collection in the Scorsese global cinema box set. Um, I didn't see any sort of warning or any kind of notice No. Uh, on the site or anything. And I don't know. I feel like we're at that point where we need that, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. sensitive minds and all. Anyway, let's do this because one of our listeners, Craig, 
recently told me that they very much enjoy this feature, so oh. I don't want to go too much further without saying, here I am. I'm just doing my daily thing, Senegal, walking around. I maybe haven't even watched a movie in months. Maybe don't even ever watch movies. You walk in, you're desperate to make Tukibuki. Sell me on why I should help you make this. Pitch this movie to me, Craig. Oh, man. <laughs> this, is, this is the hardest one on so many levels. <laughs> I know. Oh, uh, you're going to nail it, though. I can feel it. <laughs> I mean, because that is kind of what we're talking about here. This, this filmmaker, Mimbete, like, yeah, walk into your community and say, look, we're making this thing. Yeah. And that's not uh, a normal chain of events for any of these people, right. I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I want to make a movie uh, because for a few reasons. Uh, I love movies. Mm. Movies have taught me about other places in the world. I think this movie could teach other people about this place in the world. And I kind of want to, I want to let everybody know how I feel about being here, which is part of me wants to get out as soon as possible, go to the prettiest place on earth. And that's Paris, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. But the other part of me wants to stay here because this is where, uh, really things make sense to me. Uh, this is where, uh, truly I feel at home. And yet I still want to leave, but I still want to stay. And that's really, that's the back and forth of the whole movie. Uh, and, uh, and I just want to show people what, what Senegal is all about. So um, if all of you will allow me to have a naked man driven through your neighborhood, <laughs> shouting things about wrestling, okay. then uh, it would really mean a lot to me. Can we get a caveman in there? Oh, absolutely. What if, uh, what if he's like in a tree and he ends up with a motorcycle? Okay, and can we get some wine about taking a dump? Sure. Okay, you seemed a little hesitant. You know what? I'm in. Okay, let's do this. All right. All My right. weekend is free. We can, yeah, we can knock this out over a while, right? How absolutely. How long does it take to make a movie? Like a couple hours? I have no idea yet. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll figure it out. Uh, okay. No, see, you did a great job with that. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I do think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of it is like showing uh, this this side of of their world because it felt pretty intentional and obvious in that opening sequence where he is riding a motorcycle, like just starting in that field with that cattle, mm -hmm. and then you know let's we're going to move on from slaughterhouse, but. There's like palm trees in the background and it's just like, man, this is like, this looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and then you do see like there's motorcycles, there's an airplane, there's a freeway, uh, there's a shanty town, yes, or, you know, uh, call it what you will. Um, mm -hmm. Houses not made out of wooden concrete uh, as we know them in the West. Sure. And uh, skyscrapers in the background. So there's definitely a, a vibrant city life that you might think of a Western city. And mm -hmm. it's there. But it is not where sort of like the heart beats in this film. And that right. to me felt like, yeah, that, that has to be like part of the reason of both making this. And then I think of seeing this, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's so, so interesting just to know that uh, the proximity of those two environments is it's always closer than it appears if you're in one or the other, I'm sure. Yes. Um, 
But there were a lot of little touches that I kind of loved throughout this film. And a lot of it just has to do with sort of like that portrait of daily life. So I kind of thought maybe let's just go through some of those. Mm -hmm. Because plot-wise, I think the logline is actually pretty sufficient. And some of it is kind of just the pastiche of them trying to pull off these various schemes, um, plots to make money that are never fully successful. Spoiler. (laughs) And then, but that's against the backdrop of where they live and the people that they know and the people they interact with. So um, one of the things I really liked, and this is like the simplest thing, uh, there's a, a postal worker that we see in this film pretty early on, like when we sort of get a sense of like this little town, um, where these very poor people live and he's walking through and then there's like a shot of him just like trying to walk up a dirt hill and he keeps sleeping, slipping a little bit and it's yeah. just from the back and it just held it. And I, I just like really like that shot. And then he shows up again at the end and he walks past Maury when Maury's on the stairs. And I was just like, Oh, that was such a nice touch to have that little postal guy come walking back through. And I don't know. I just yes. found myself was like, what is that dude's life? Like, you know, he just goes out and delivers mail walking up dirt hills and walking downstairs, goes home. Um, So I don't know, just like that sort of little thing I really liked. What's what's something of, well, it can be bigger than that, obviously, um, that kind of stood out to you, jumped out to you as that sort of daily life stuff that you liked or maybe did not like. Well, I think the, I think the the number one thing that, that really made me wish I was watching something that was more, just just me sort of observing was this whole wrestling match thing that happened. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Like I I was I if I was looking at the crowd, I was like, this is amazing. And as I was looking at the actual match going on, I was like, man, this is this is great. Like I I I love this whole thing. And you can kind of feel like it it just has that and, and I'm sure it was it felt very real. It didn't seem staged at all. It seems like they just took a camera to an actual event. Yeah, all that stuff just felt, just gave the um, atmosphere of the movie that much more sort of richness of just, you know, there are these things that are going on that are sort of outside of the realm of the story, really. And uh, and I liked that. I, I liked kind of looking through those doors and kind of seeing these other rooms of of the life there. Um, I don't know. I really, I really dug it. I mean, there was like... There's like the folks in the stands who yeah. just has, had these like enormous robes and, the, and these uh, uh, outfits that I took for like, this is if you were wealthy. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's just, it's, it's so not something you would really see here, but it was just, but you, but it was, it's, I guess what I like about it is it's so clearly communicated to you this idea. Like mm-hmm. these are the people who are in the stands and you know, this is what they're watching. And like, I, I don't know. I loved sitting there and watching that. I wish, I wish I could have just done a bunch of that too. Uh, I like that whole things. sequence as well. I mean, the wrestling is, it, it looked pretty similar to sumo wrestling to me in that yeah. it's kind of just like the one takedown and that's it. And, and, um, but yeah, it, it just is, uh, it's definitely event that happened and whether they put it on or not, it, people were clearly interested in the outcome of the event. And uh, it also has a bit of a heist plot to it in that sequence, which I thought yes. was kind of cool. You know, it, it, that's their plan in this junction to to steal the money that is made 
at this event with all these people coming in and, and certainly those, those wealthy people as well. And the way it ends up getting visualized is <laughs> it's almost comical in, in like a Barney Fife kind of way. There's like one guard who like blocks off this little <laughs> square with these rails to yeah. guard two trunks that are just out there in the open, you know, and like the implication, you never see it, but the implication is that there's money in, in one of those trunks. And um, gosh, this is going to get into a whole sequence, which we should talk about. But, um, uh, you know, one of them's blue, one of them's green. And so it's like uh, Maury is asking Anta, like, which one she thinks it is. And like, she says one answer. And he, of course, decides, no, no, it's, it's the other one. <laughs> Typical yeah. male. Um, and then they don't show the robbery, but they they do take the trunk. And um, I don't know, just like having it at that place, it, like, it almost felt like <clears throat> like the killing, like Kubrick's movie or something like, you know. Like it would be a horse track in the West or, right? you know, casino. Like you could, you could easily build an entire movie around stealing a trunk at a wrestling yeah. match full, you know, and the trunk's supposed to be full of money, but obviously not quite what it seems. It's kind of fun too, to see this situation where again, like in, in, you know, an American movie, it would be all about all the high tech stuff where they keep all the money safe and how hard it is to get it and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, at this point, like it's, it's actually very simple and straightforward. Uh, but even that it's like, it's not that easy to do. <laughs> yeah. As easy as it is, it's not that easy. Uh, yeah. So I kind of, I kind of like that a lot. Yeah. And actually now that I remember that doesn't launch the sequence that I was talking about, like they, where they go with it is, um, you know, you're sort of cutting then to a taxi cab that's got the trunk on top of it. And Anta's in the car with the taxi driver and Maury is on his motorcycle and they're driving through the city and it ends up, they're getting separated a little bit, but the taxi driver, like they keep going out to those fields and there's these like ruins of a building somewhere. And like that stuff to me, like when they were out there, it's like that actually almost like felt like there's like a part of Badlands that actually reminded me a yeah. little of that, uh, the Malik film. But it was really interesting. I wrote down the line because the taxi driver is then asked to stop and carry the trunk over to, you know, like Anta's not letting on anything. She's like, this is where we live. And he's just like, this is, no, this is creepy. I don't, are you sure about this? But he's taking the trunk over there. And he says something like, you're not from Senegal. Only Europeans could live like this. This place is scary. And I was like, well, that's, that's a really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Take on it. For yeah. Sure. It's just like, well, like, has he seen someplace in Europe that, that made him feel afraid that he thinks that that, or is like, has he heard situations uh, that are frightening in this sense? So like almost like a haunted house. And of course the payoff is there are skeletal remains in that trunk. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's ever said whose they were or anything like that. Nope. <laughs> or why they're in there for that matter. Right. Well, yeah. And I was assuming that it was that. like, like, Maybe I'm way off, but I kind of liked this idea is that that was sort of the level of of security mm -hmm. is like you're not going to grab both trunks. So you 50 50 chance you end up with bones and, <laughs> yeah. and no money at all. Right. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Otherwise, why there was anything in that trunk other than, you know, money or it was just like, you know, yeah. full of bricks or something. So I don't know. But as an omen, it works well for... Oh, it's like, great, yeah, Okay, yeah. like your, your plan's not necessarily going to go uh, the way you thought it would. And um, I love actually how the guy, when he sees it, he flips. He just, he loses it. And like he does this sort of 
it looks like he's going to try and jump over the wall that's directly behind him. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's, uh, <laughs> you could tell he's got second thoughts about it to begin with. Yeah. And he kind of, uh, uh, no, nah, and then, and then kind of runs the other way. And I loved that. I thought that was hilarious. That was yeah. so well played. But then, yeah, he just, compl- he just goes running off, runs past his taxi, just runs. <laughs> yeah. Just runs yeah. in the woods. Because Maury shows up on the motorcycle. I was like, well, surely he's going to get in the taxi cab and drive off. Nope. He just nope. kept running. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was terrified. That was great. Um, a couple other little things that I liked. I loved the clothes in this movie, man. Everybody looks mm-hmm. so cool. Like there's uh, were. a definite 70s vibe to it. And uh, it's all fairly tight fitting. And Maury's got these boots that he tucks his pants into. And it's like, yeah. he just looks cool. <laughs> he looks like Han Solo almost. Like, well, and he's there. such a, he seems, at least he seems very tall. Yeah. He's very like, sort of tall and really skinny. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Like he looks, uh, strikes a, he is a striking figure mm-hmm. in the movie. And so is, uh, oh man, what's, what's his girlfriend's name? Anta. Anta. Uh, Anta's very much the same. Yeah. Like they both kind of have the same, very much the same look to them in a way. She's even almost like, it's a bit like tipping the hat to the 70s sort of androgynous thing that yeah. was, you know, popularized and, you know, part of the David, David Bowie. And, you know, I, I don't think that's just me making a mean observation because there's, you know, some comments from other people in the film about uh, her very short haircut. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I hope I'm not putting on there. But anyway, she plays it cool. And I also, Craig, you might want to cover your ears for a second. Oh, boy. I really like the sex scene in this film. <gasps> I know. Which is, uh, you see nothing, really. Um, yeah. And it cuts back to, there's, I don't know, we'll talk about sort of the, the linear quality and nonlinear qualities of this film in a second. But um, it is more or less a sequence where you hear a few things that are kind of suggestive as if it's, you know, Passionate love making Craig mm-hmm. noises. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly you're just seeing shots of the ocean and waves crashing. Yeah. And they're right by the beach. We know that. And you're just hearing like the seagulls. And there was this real stillness to the whole thing, even though there's a lot of cuts in it. And occasionally you get a shot of her hand on the back of his motorcycle, just like hanging on to whatever that little... Uh, metalwork symbol is on there, which yeah. no clue. But um, I don't know. Like it almost, in some ways, does not feel at all like anything around it in the film. But by the end of the whole movie, I'm like, yeah, it fits. I think, and uh, I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, I I like the way that was handled. Uh, around that point in the movie, I was pretty confounded about what was going on. Right. And where we were and where we were in time. Like I was, uh, I remember really like after that, things kind of are generally uh, settled in, in terms of sort of a linear thing. And I could tell what was going on. Um, I'm not really totally, I don't really totally understand the choice to do it that way in the first place. I, but I have to imagine, well, I say that, I mean, as opposed to like showing them, no, 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 no. Okay. I mean, I, I, I thought that the scene that you're talking about, I think that was that was handled very well. Okay, I'm gotcha. Yeah. The stuff that led up to that. Okay. He is. We, we kind of skipped yes. over where he's uh, beset upon by a bunch of guys in a jeep. 
mm-hmm. and they kind of they throw a rope around him the way that ox get ropes thrown around him in the slaughterhouse. They pull them in and they put him on the back of their jeep and you know tied his skull to him and like they're driving. And I think that was intercut with a flash forward of Anta running down to the cliffs where she was going to see him eventually. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I was going to tie this into the entire conversation of, of, yeah, the nonlinear stuff, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a little confusing. I felt like there was a slight crucifixion pose to the way Maury was like, you know, tied to that, yes. that vehicle, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe let's let, well, let's get into this then. Okay. Yeah. So, one of the last schemes that they pull in the film is they go see this guy who is very, very wealthy and sort of aggressively homosexual, mm-hmm. uh, more or least bisexual, and not in the way that I mean, is okay. Yeah, it's a stereotype, but it's not. There's nothing sexual that happens between anybody. But right. he's he's really trying hard to get Maury to come into the shower with him yes. and let him rub his back and all this stuff. And boy, those lines are repeated over. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. I feel like I would stop talking if nobody's answered me. After <laughs> no one responded this. for yeah, the last like 15 Maury, minutes. Yeah. yeah, instead, Maury is stealing all this guy's clothes um, and putting them in trunks. And um, boy, I love that setting, though. Like the outside of that house... There's just this weird pool, and they're riding around in like a paddle boat of yeah. like some variety. Yeah. So cool. There's all these weird people just hanging out, and um, Anta's like rifling through somebody's uh, bat messenger bag. I don't know. It was a weird scene, but I liked it. It was like something out of like Boogie Nights or something, yeah. but, uh, but in Senegal. And um, so they leave there, and they leave by telling this guy's driver to that the, the boss man said, take, take us, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they get in the back of this car. I meant to look that damn thing up. Um, it's some sort of like four door convertible that's uh, painted up to look uh, certainly inspired by the American flag, if not uh, representational of it entirely. It's you know mm-hmm. like something Captain America might drive. Yeah. And from that moment on, I, I didn't know if what was happening was happening in their heads exactly. If this is dream sequence. Um, does this relate back to Maury being tied up by those guys early? Like, did he die? Is this all like in his head? Like, is all of it in his head from that moment forward? Um, because kind of how it plays out is, gosh, um, they go into town and they're wearing the new clothes and they go to a travel agent and they're sort of booking travel and making plans to get on a boat and leave Senegal for Paris and they there's never been any um anything to tell us that they actually have actual money yeah. now, as far as we know they only stole clothes and so I was a bit confused but there's a parade going on and then you jump way ahead as if Maury's come back and the prodigal son has returned and there was a woman who was um threatening earlier I think to Anta with a knife and she's there and now they're dancing and singing his praises and yeah, he loses the motorcycle, and then the caveman guy shows up. Anta ends up getting on the ship, and then Maury ends up running away and ends up on those steps that I was talking about where the post guy comes. 
do you have a, a sort of reading on the timeline of all that or if if it's meant to be taken literally? And it, Because then like the final thing that we end up on, I think, is uh, part of that sequence around the timeline of the sex scene where they're back on the, you know, the cliffs of the beach. And then I think the literal last shot is that boy riding the ox at the very end, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Did, uh, did, did any of this literally happen or no? Like after the robbery you know, of the clothes? Sadly, I didn't even really think about that. But yeah, that whole sequence, that whole sequence where there's the parade and everything, I thought that was them talking about what it's going to be like when they yeah. make this score. And then it went on for so long, I was like, oh, did this happen? <laughs> So, but yeah, I think, I think the, 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 the robbery happened. I think they did steal those clothes. Totally. Yep. And like, so after they steal the clothes and they're, uh, he's riding in the back of this car and he takes all his clothes off and he stands up and he's talking as if he's talking to a crowd of people mm-hmm. about how he's a, I believe how he's a famous wrestler. I can't remember, but it was, yeah, it was of that thought. Yeah. And and they keep cutting to these shots of like kids running along the sides of the roads. Mm -hmm. But whenever they cut to him and it's shot from behind of the car moving down the road, there's no one nearby at all. Boy, it's a good shot. I was like, oh, well, this is like, oh, it's a great shot. It's like iconic almost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love all the way that's put together, but I was taking all of that as a a fantasy. This is sort of his victory speech. Uh, But at the exact same time that this is happening, uh, Anta is on the... She's on the motorcycle, like ahead of them, She's on the motorcycle. She drives off the road and crashes and runs away as a man dressed as a caveman comes up to look at the motorcycle and at that point, I was like, well, what, a, what about Anta? Because you're in a car and you're still talking about being a wrestler. I was very confused about mm-hmm. spatially what was happening there. But yeah, if, if all that sort of became the fantasy, so you're thinking maybe everything after they did it on that cliff maybe didn't really happen. I'm not even entirely sure because, I, I mean, we never see Maury let go of all those guys that tie him up, right? Okay, so here's what happens. So they they grab him, they put him on the back of the Jeep, and they're driving. And I think the next thing you see is Anta, and she runs into the Aunt Umi. Yeah, uh, the woman with the character knife. Character yeah. who, who's, yeah, like threatening her, and aha, laughing about oh, stuff, and you're seeing a goat get slaughtered. Wild, yeah. She's she's out of her mind, but she is uh, well cast, uh, I'd She's say. really good, yeah. And I could have sworn she said something about Maury jumping off a cliff. Interesting. And at which point Anta runs down, runs down to the cliff, which you've already seen in f- like, uh, you know, whatever. Um, Wait a second. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> right. This, this is just how okay. I took it. Cause I didn't understand why we're doing the flash forward, but then that happens. And so she runs down to the cliff and I was like, Oh my God, I think he's cause then, then, then there's a shot of Anta like, uh, leaning up against the cliff and it looks like she's like maybe crying. She looks distraught, but it's a wide shot. So you don't really can't really see what's going on. And then she turns around and you kind of get this lower shot of her taking off the jacket 
and you know she's nude from the from the at least the waist up and she drops out of frame and then you have the scene you were talking about and then they're on the cliff and they're talking about going to Paris and about ripping things off and I think it is possible that everything after that doesn't actually happen uh yeah and, and I want to get this thought out the main reason is I didn't think about this before but the whole time they're talking about the wrestling event and they're talking about taking like which trunk should they take you never see them you just hear their voices Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh well what if that was just them on the cliff imagining the event and talking about but then we do see them in the in the bleachers of the event although they are wearing disguises yes (laughs) I, i i don't know i mean um i think there has to be something that's at least impressionistic of reality going on here um Yes, the parade for for sure. I think because that is a flight of fancy. Like that seemed completely because that's as if they came back successful. And you know, the whole point was we're going to go over there and it'll be easy. Like we just have to pretend like we're successful when we get there, and like we already have money and we wear these nice clothes, and and people will embrace us, and it'll be easy to then you know fool them out of the money essentially. but yeah, it the way it's assembled, yeah, it's tough to kind of crack a sort of chronological egg. But you, you, maybe, maybe it's there's a lot of fantasy here. Although you do have a scene of the guy, man, I should have written down his name, but they, Charlie, I think it's Charlie. Um, yeah, yeah, who owns this large house that they steal the clothes from? There is a scene of him by himself calling the police. So. In yes. that sense, well, and there's a sh- couple scenes of the caveman guy by himself, I think, because it's That's like you're too. not at one of your main characters POV in, in those moments. But maybe that doesn't matter. <laughs> right. uh, I can't tell if I'm getting more confused or less, but I do think um, it, do- it doesn't. It's not like you're watching an experimental film. Like, you know, there's a certain logic right. to the non-logic of or non-chronological logic of the the experience here so i don't want to get too hung up on that but but it is kind of interesting and like that the way coming back to the very end like I, i did question that too is just like um like it, it, is it you know is this all sort of flight of fancy of a of a boy's imagination of what life would be like once you grow up or is it sort of saying here he is, Maury will never not be that guy, not be that kid on the ox, no matter sort of like what he's up to. Um, right. But I don't know. I mean, also like you saying like, yeah, uh, the aunt uh, Umi, something about him jumping off a cliff, which I missed. I got, I was thinking, it's like, oh, that shot where they're sitting there on the cliffs. Is he dead? And like this whole thing. But Yeah, for a second, that's what I thought. But you're right. They did, there is conversation happening between the two of them over that shot. I think you're absolutely right. So yeah. <laughs> we got to uncrack this puzzle somehow, but uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I, I really liked it though. I mean, I like the sort of build of that there and getting on that ship and like as confusing as it is, like I think there's a way to, that I read and just questioned whether Maury's decision to run is sort of, you know, it's just indicative of how hard it is to kind of leave a place like that. Like knowing that 
going away to someplace like France, I mean, France especially, like their colonizer, right? Um, sure. Is kind of a betrayal of who you are as a, as a person from Senegal, perhaps. And at the same time, it's natural to want a quote unquote better life. Yeah. And, and I think it's also a thing where, you know, I, I guess one uh, message of the movie is sort of it's not all about just having the means to go. Yeah. Like there's something deeper mm-hmm. there, you know, that has to be dealt with and confronted. Uh, it's not just about, you know, can you afford the ticket? Right. So, yeah. A um, couple other just tiny things that I, I thought were really interesting. I've, uh, I'm failing hard today in my notes because I wrote down a line, but I don't re- I have no clue who said it. Do not remember. Yeah. It's towards the end of the movie, though, so maybe you can help me out here. There was a line, mm-hmm. someone saying African art is a joke made up by journalists who need good copy. And I was like, yeah, it's an old white guy on the okay. boat. I was like, damn, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly who you're talking about now. Um that's a, a harsh line. I, I kind of loved that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, last one, at least we were talking a little bit beforehand. Um, Maury and Anta, at one point, earlier in the film, when they're just out and, like, sort of beginning this, like, plot, uh, traveling here and there in the motorcycle, down by a creek or river of sorts, they find a Grigri bag. And I didn't quite know what that was, but... No. It's, uh, I looked it up. That is the one thing I did look up. Um, Grigory is sort of, it's kind of like a voodoo talisman uh, or an amulet. And a bag is just a, a bag of, of things that have been charmed, if you will, um, for some sort of particular purpose. But it is t- tied specifically in Senegal to a concept of birth control and a belief that that could uh, be used as, as contraceptive, I think, at a, at a for a period that this movie would have coincided with at least. And uh, I don't know. I I hadn't thought of that. I mean, there's no sort of literal mention of Anta and Maury starting a family, I don't think, or there's like any hints of uh, an impending pregnancy or anything like that. But um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's all part of the the stew there between these two characters. Uh, yeah. Anything that uh, we haven't mentioned that you want to bring up, Craig? Is there anything uh, that we haven't mentioned that I personally want to bring up? That's a good question, Sean. Well, let's. I, I did overlook the the story arc of the caveman, this weird caveman-looking character. Yeah. And I don't know if he's just supposed to be like a local crazy, or I mean, he's got really big hair, uh, and he is. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it, but he looks like he's wearing like a Flintstone fur. You yeah, know, um, I mean, it, it, it looks cartoonish, nothing. and yeah. that's that's one thing where I'm at a loss. Me too. Watching, you know, really probably the first movie I've ever seen out of Senegal, knowing almost nothing about the country at all. There's a moment where it's like, is this a thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll do some research on that maybe and, right. and see what we can find. But yeah, like our first introduction, yeah, as you mentioned, like he's in a tree making noises at crows. Right. Um, but once he has that bike and he makes his appearance again at the end, it's not a happy one. He's been hit by a car. Yeah. Uh, I think, or crashed his motorcycle. There's a lot of blood and Maury kind of walks upon the scene. Everybody's standing around. And um, they watch as he's loaded onto an ambulance. And this is after Maury has run away from the ship. 
And I do think like, again, like there's something to finding that motorcycle and specifically the ox skull on it um, that causes him to go further introspective. I think he gets something out of like uh, a satchel or something on the, like a bike bag. Um, I feel like he read something or was writing something when he was Mm -hmm. on the steps. But anyway, again, I don't make, I don't know quite what to make out of that, that caveman character and sort of like, what is that doing in this film? So if anybody has any answers on that front, I'm all, all for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say this, Craig. Maury was played by, I'm going to say, Magaye Nyong, and Anta was played by Miriam Nyong. I don't, you should have looked it up. Maybe they're brother and sister, maybe husband and wife. I'm not uh, sure. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Christoph and Mustafa, I really don't even remember who those characters were, but Christoph Colomb, as we said, Mustafa Toure. Aminata Fall was Aunt Umi, and Usunyu Diop was Charlie. Yeah. I think this is something people should see. And I think it's for all the reasons that we talked about. It's just like exposure and trying to understand or just have a glimpse of a different culture. And one that I think is pretty fascinating to watch. Um, I think the acting was was interesting and good when it needed to be. And um, those are extremely watchable actors and the performance they give. And I will need help figuring out uh, the exam questions that would be asked of a movie like this. I'm trying to make sense of it, but yeah. I will continue to think about it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, moving forward. This is on the Criterion channel. You can stream it there. I'm sure you could rent it elsewhere. It's an hour and 25 minutes long, so it's a pretty easy breezy thing to uh, to experience. Yeah. Any last words, Craig? Uh, yeah, I just want to second the uh, trigger warning on the injury to animals. <laughs> it's... Definitely unpleasant and quite unflinching. Let's third and fourth and fifth that as well. Yes. And uh, yeah, come back next time. We're going to tee up another movie and we'll talk then. Right on. Thank you. Bye-bye. 